2: A year after the Taliban took back control of Afghanistan, thousands of Afghans who helped Canada during the war are still stuck in the country. Many are living in hiding, fearful of repercussions they and their family could face if found. I'm Dave Breckenridge and this is 10-3. National Post reporter Tom Blackwell joins me to discuss how precarious the situation is for our allies in Afghanistan, why there's a delay in getting them out, and what the federal government says they're doing to help. Don't forget you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, and Amazon Plus, basically wherever you get your favorite shows. I'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So, Tom, it has been roughly one year since the fall of Kabul and the return of the Taliban to power, And I know that a lot has happened around the world in the last year, so people may not recall what happened in Kabul last August. Just to remind readers of the tenuous situation that was going on on the ground there, what transpired last August?
0: Yeah, basically, there was a fairly sudden and dramatic sort of advance by the Taliban in late summer of last year, precipitated in part by, uh, you know, fairly swift withdrawal of the the remaining American troops that were stationed there. So in some ways, it kind of took U.S. and its allies kind of by surprise. So that led to an airlift organized by the Americans from Kabul to bring out certainly, uh, you know, citizens or permanent residents of of countries like U.S. and Canada, but also, theoretically, at least, uh, people who had worked for those NATO countries and, and were, you know, as a result of that, were basically considered enemies by the uh, Taliban uh, and and in grave danger. So there, there was a, a sort of a mad rush over a couple of weeks in last August to airlift people out. But in, in terms of those people who had worked for Canada as interpreters or or as you know guards at, at the embassy that kind of thing, most of those people did not get out on one of those flights. And so, I mean, trying to, to get out of Afghanistan for the for the last year, essentially.
2: And what did Canada said it was going to do to help those people? I assume there's a lot of danger for people who helped the U.S. and its allies.
0: Absolutely. I mean, even, you know, when the Canadian mission was still happening in Afghanistan, it ended in uh, 2011. Even in those years, you know, interpreters and the like were being assassinated by the Taliban. I remember, you know, in one of my reporting trips over there, you know, interviewing, I, I, like a, a cleaner at one of the Canadian forward operating bases, who said, you know, if, if the Taliban I knew that I was working here, they'd they slit my throat. And you know, uh, so even even workers at that level were in, in danger. So, and under some pressure, the Canadian government came up with two programs. One of them was a special program for those people who had worked for Canada, had an enduring relationship with Canada, as as the government put it, and their family members. If they qualified, they would be given permanent resident status in Canada and and help to to get out of Afghanistan and, and into Canada. There was a separate program. That was a more sort of traditional program for Afghan refugees, for people considered vulnerable to the Taliban, you know, such as you know women and LGBTQ members and and journalists, that, that kind of thing. That that was a separate program. But the more kind of extraordinary measure was this program for those people who had who had helped Canada when the, the military mission was on.
2: Under these programs, how many people have Canada been able to help get out of Afghanistan or get out of Pakistan and come to Canada?
0: That's a good question, and uh, it's not absolutely clear. But basically, in terms of the program for those people who had helped Canada, who had worked for Canada, the government is, uh, has basically sort of capped uh, the total at 18,000 people. And that includes uh, the principal applicants of so the actual Former employees and, and their family members. So the government says that they've received applications for 15,000 people under that program and it has approved, it says, 10,000 or, or so of those. And then of those, about 7,000 have actually arrived in Canada. So that's 7,000 out of a uh, total of 18,000 that have arrived in Canada. So there's, you know, tons of thousands that are still in Afghanistan. And in some cases in neighboring Pakistan and and haven't been able to get out.
2: In the last year, we've seen war erupt in Europe with the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And Canada has taken in, what is it, more than 100,000 Ukrainian refugees. Why is it that we've been able to take in so many Ukrainian refugees and so few people from Afghanistan?
0: Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. And I mean, to be fair, there are some key differences. Canada does have an embassy in Ukraine and Ukrainian refugees, I think, are able to fairly easily get into Poland and beyond in Europe, you know, and and from there fly to Canada relatively easily. There is that. I mean, and, and in Afghanistan, by contrast, Canada has no diplomatic or military representatives. And we have a government that is violently hostile towards these people that we're, we're trying to help. And, you know, we appear to be even preventing them from, or trying to prevent them from getting out of the country. So there are those key differences, to be fair. I mean, that said, I, I think it's interesting that Canada has approved, I think, close to 200,000 applications from Ukrainian applicants for the program for them, as opposed to 10,000 <laughs> of the Afghan application. So Mm -hmm. even just looking at the approval process, far more of the Ukrainian refugees have been approved. Now, they're also being approved for what's called a temporary residence visa as opposed to the Afghans who are getting permanent residency. So that's a bit different. But still, it raises the question of why has it taken so long, even to just to process a lot of these applicants in Afghanistan, especially compared to the Ukrainians? And so for
2: these people who are stuck, who were ostensibly told by Canada, we will help you because you helped us in the war, what has life been like for them for the last year? How are they managing to stay alive, if they're managing to stay alive?
0: For a lot of them, it's been extremely difficult. And uh, like just as an example, Canada had a a special forces base in Kandahar City during our our mission there. And one of the uh, members of the, the... Special Forces, now retired, who's been trying to get people out and has been sort of keeping track of what's happening. Says about 40 of the Afghan employees of that base have been killed by the Taliban since the Canadian mission ended. And, you know, others are basically on the run. There's a guy who I've been keeping track of and interviewing, you know, since last August. And he actually, has been all but approved by Canadian government. He and his family, but doesn't have a passport to enable him to get out of Afghanistan. So, he for the last seven months he is sort of been in hiding. He's now living under an assumed identity and hasn't seen his wife and and children for seven months. I was told about another guy uh, who had actually also worked at that at the um, Special Forces base, Canadian Special Forces base. Who is basically for seven or eight months has been living in literally a hole in the ground. He wow. dug a hole in the ground. It's camouflaged on top. You know, people come in and apparently and and drop food into the hole a couple of times a day. But that is, that has been his his life. Uh, another example is someone I've interviewed is is a uh, former guard at the Canadian Embassy, and this is someone who worked as a guard at the Canadian Embassy employed by a a third-party contractor, but still working at the embassy for close to 10 years. He, according to his son, he's applied to the program, but had basically nothing but sort of an acknowledgement of of the receipt of the application for the last year. So that family is now in hiding. Two of the guard's kids were in university and had to give up their studies. Two younger siblings were in school and are no longer in school. There was another sibling who's in nurse and and can't work as a nurse. So just their lives completely in in turmoil uh, as they wait.
2: What are they saying about the lack of help from the Canadian government or about their concern for their lives or their families' lives in the wake of all this?
0: They are incredibly frustrated. (laughs) And I think they try to be not sort of overly critical of the government for understandable reasons. Uh, But I mean, they're incredibly frustrated and scared and are wondering why after providing the help they did for Canada, that more is not being done to to help them at at this point. In some cases, it's just, it's kind of baffling (laughs) that, that, you know, these people are still in limbo, you know, to not even, to to sort of seemingly clearly qualify for the program and not to even have gotten approved, you know, a year later, it's it's hard to understand, I guess, why that can be uh, the case.
1: That's shopify.com slash system.
2: What has the government said of these people? You know, I get that the Trudeau government wasn't in power when our troops were sent in to Afghanistan. And so the war was a decision of the previous government, but you would assume that there'd be some continuity in Living up to agreements that the government has made, what have the Feds said about the situation of these people?
0: The mission in Kandahar province, the the combat mission, was actually approved by a liberal government, uh, Paul Martin, but uh, mm-hmm. although mostly unfolded under the, under Stephen Harper's government. But uh, yeah, I mean, the government did bring in eventually the, the program to help these people, although there there'd been a lot of lobbying for you know years before that, which sort of more or less fell on deaf ears. So they did bring in this uh, program. Now they're saying, you know, it's a unique situation in Afghanistan. They don't have any diplomatic mission. There no, no military there. Trying to get people out of Afghanistan is dangerous, requires extraordinary measures. They're sort of trying their best to get people out. Groups of Canadian veterans that are really sort of pushing hard on behalf of these people. and, And they sort of they really question whether the government is doing as much as it can, and and of so question whether the the political will is there to to provide the resources that, that are, are are needed. But government says it is trying, and it's a difficult situation essentially.
2: You mentioned the, these veterans that are helping them out. What are they doing? Are they trying to lobby the federal government? Are they trying to lobby individual MPs to put pressure on the government? How are they helping? Because I can imagine you're a soldier, you go into a foreign country for a mission and you have to work alongside locals to get information or even just to carry out operations. I assume that our veterans hold these people in high regard, right? And they don't want to see them left behind. So what is it that they're doing to help? And can they really get the government to act or can they do anything outside of government?
0: Well, I mean, I think one could argue that whatever government action has been taken is largely a result of pressure from these veterans groups. So, yeah, I mean, they have been, from the beginning, lobbying hard for government action. Many are also directly in contact with these Afghan former employees of Canada and sort of trying to help them through the process, trying to help them find ways out of Afghanistan or out of Pakistan if they've gotten that far. So, I mean, it's some of them are, you know, really deeply involved in this process. And the one person I mentioned who was in the Special Forces in Kandahar, I mean, he says, I've had no life for the last year. And, and it sort of caused I mean, family tensions and and everything. And, uh, you know, he's, he says even now, he's often up half the night on the phone or texting uh, people in Afghanistan. You know, he has all these people who are contacting him trying to get get help in in order to push their their cases forward. So, yeah, so, some of these veterans are are very actively and deeply involved in the process.
2: Looking ahead, is there any hope that the federal government can get movement for these people who are ostensibly enemies of the Taliban? I can't imagine that the Taliban would want to help these people leave the country. Is it a case of trying to smuggle these people out across a land border into Pakistan? What is the scenario for getting these people out? And is it viable?
0: The first stage is that they need to get to Pakistan. I mean that that's I mean it could be another third country, but I mean Pakistan is the most obvious. And if they've been approved or, or sort of tentatively approved, then they go to the high commission in, in Islamabad and get the biometrics done like you know, fingerprinting essentially. And then can be approved to, to actually go to Canada. But yeah, for a lot of them, the problem is getting out of Afghanistan, especially if they don't have passports. I mean, part of the problem is that even if they do, that Taliban, you know, in many cases are not keen to let them go or maybe suspicious, you know, of them and basically, you know, take action against them because they realize that these are people who used to work for a NATO country. So it's unclear exactly what the solutions could be. There is a talk of Canada providing sort of single-use travel passes that would enable them to get into Pakistan without a passport and to get a Pakistan visa. There's still the problem of the Taliban letting them out of Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. One of the veterans i talked to said Canada should be really pressing the idea of using the sort of traditional tribal connections between certain groups of Afghans and related people in, in Pakistan so traditionally, many Afghans have, have been sort of given free passage across the border because of, of connections between their tribal groups and and families. So that's another possibility. You know, one veteran advocate also said, you know, the Canadian government should get involved in negotiations with the Taliban. The Taliban desperately needs help from the international community, from the West. Countries on the verge of famine and the economy is, is, is in shambles. So, I mean... It could be that the Canadian government might have some leverage, you know, if, if it got involved in negotiations to, to get people out. I mean, that that's, uh, you know, unclear, but that's certainly one, one idea, I guess, that's been suggested.
2: I get the sense the government isn't keen on being seen as negotiating with the Taliban at this point anyway.
0: Uh, no, it, I, at this point, no. It seems to have sort of ruled out that as a, as a possibility, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, uh, who knows? I mean, you know that may be part of the solution going down the road. But uh, we'll have to see.
2: Yeah, I mean, we will have to see, and we'll definitely be keeping an eye on this story. Tom, thanks for your time.
0: Okay, thank you.
2: Ten Three is produced by Sean Knox. Theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest Tom Blackwell. More from him at nationalpost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening.